Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most spine-tingling, the most high-profile homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season two, teen killers are discussed and profiled. On this episode, teen cop killer Dante Harris is profiled and the unsolved homicide of 17-year-old Deshanae Woodson is examined. A kid thinking he grown, getting bullshit consequences and punishments for big boy crimes. A poor, distraught mother begging the system for help and for the system to get involved. But you know what? Fuck getting involved. Begging for them to lock him up because he's not listening to nobody. Damn. It's like when you mix all that together, you get the tragic case of teenage cop murderer Dante Anthony Harris. First off, he grew up with his father in and out of prison for robberies. I mean, he was raised in the Gilmore Homes housing projects where he lived with his mother and his sister. Gilmore Homes in West Baltimore is the same poverty-stricken area where Freddie Gray was raised. Second, he had a thing for stealing cars and driving them like he owned them or something. It didn't matter when or if he got caught by the police because he knew that as long as he kept getting charged as a juvenile, then a punishment would be some type of bullshit bullshit like community service, home detention, or whatever. Registered as a freshman at the Francis M. Wood Alternative High School in West Baltimore since December of 2017, he had been arrested four times for stealing cars. Each time, he was charged as a juvenile, and the last time, on May 10th, 2018 he was released from baby bookings for stealing cars and he was put on community super supervision and sent on sent home on ankle bracelet home monitoring within days he took that shit off and was out doing what he do stealing cars like it was a new jersey drive or something his mother had enough I mean, imagine how hard it must have been to call his probation officer or supervisor or officer or whatever and be like, he's not listening. Come get him. Please lock him up. Because I can't control him. And either he's going to eventually get hurt or he's going to hurt somebody else. I mean, y'all won't let parents discipline as they see fit. So you handle it. I mean, her pleas and cries went on deaf ears only to have complete disastrous results. On the morning of May 21st, 2018, 16-year-old Dante was out with three of his friends, another 15-year-old male, a 16-year-old male, and a 17-year-old male, and he was all out stealing cars. They ended up getting a black Jeep Wrangler. Next, they set out to burglarize a house that they had scoped out thinking that the house had guns inside that they wanted. So as they were riding around, Dante, he eventually let 
he was the driver of the Jeep and eventually he let them all out to do what they do while he waited in the stolen car, a stolen Jeep. What none of them knew was that they all looked suspicious as hell in the middle of the day driving around circling the block in conservative, conservative as ass Perry Hall. In a matter of minutes, a neighbor reported their activity and the call to 911 came in a little before 2 p.m. about four suspicious people walking around homes, then getting in a jeep. It just it just looks suspicious. 29-year-old Amy Sorrells Caprio had been an almost four-year veteran of the Baltimore County Police Department, and she had recently just gotten Officer of the Month award that December for solving some package theft crimes that had been going on in the neighborhood of Perry Hall. Now, Amy had completed all of the investigative work, like reviewing all the home security camera footage. She interviewed witnesses. She did old-fashioned complete police work, like she compared all the notes from all of the other packages that had been stolen. And because of her hard work and tenacity and police work, she was able to find a suspect and he was caught and arrested. Perhaps because of that arrest and her diligence for good old-fashioned police work, or maybe because she was just that officer on parole in that area, either way, she found the suspicious Jeep and started following it. Once she ran the plates and realized it was stolen, she followed him, <clears throat> the driver, in a cul-de-sac in the normally quiet unit block of Linwin Way in Perry Hall. Man, forget about license and registration. Get out of the car, get out of the car, she yelled with her gun drawn and pointed it right at the driver. Instead of getting out, the 16-year-old hesitated for a minute. Then he stepped on the gas and ran the cop over. Amy landed 20 feet away from the impact with crushing, deadly, massive injuries, including fractured ribs. The officer did manage to fire off a single shot from her gun that shattered the rear window of the Jeep. Witnesses and neighbors saw the whole ordeal unfold right before their eyes. A neighbor who had just walked inside his home was told by his son, who was a volunteer firefighter, that a police officer just got hit and ran over by a car. His son, a 20, 20, uh, his 23-year-old son, ran out and tried CPR on the officer while he immediately, while his father immediately called 911. With the cop's blood pooling in the street and with tire marks on her legs, his son was worried that the officer was already dead as he performed CPR. Her eyes were wide open. I had a very, very bad feeling that she was going or gone, he later told reporters for the Baltimore Sun. The officer was rushed to MedStar Franklin Square Hospital, but with massive internal injuries, she was pronounced dead shortly after at 2.51 p.m. Literally just an hour earlier, she was alive and well. Now the dedicated and loyal officer became the 10th police officer in Baltimore, in Baltimore County to die in the line of duty in almost 150 years and the first female officer to be killed in the precinct 8 in the 
Parkville, ever. Killed just six days before her 30th birthday, friends and family described the Falston resident as smart, kind, and a future leader. She was a graduate of Lock Raven High School, and she went on to obtain a bachelor's degree in exercise science from Towson University in 2010. At first, her plans were to become a physical therapist, but she caught the bug of the criminal justice system and decided to join the Baltimore County Police Department, Police Academy, and she graduated in December of 2014. Although she loved policing and became a police officer and becoming a police officer was her dream, her passion was with dogs and she reportedly kept dog treats in her pocket just in case she came across a dog in her day-to-day patrols. She also loved kayaking, mountain biking, and anything to do with nature and the outdoors. During her funeral, thousands of people came out to show their support and respect for the dedicated officer. 633 cars, 101 motorcycles, and numerous officers mounted on horses all participated in her funeral procession through Lock Raven. After running Amy over with the stolen Jeep, Dante sped off with a bullet hole in his front windshield and the back windshield busted out. He had to get out of that car, so he abandoned his friends and left the Jeep about two blocks away from where he hit the officer on Dawnville Road. Baltimore County police officers caught up with him within minutes walking down the street like it was nothing. And because witnesses told the police that there were others, the police ain't playing no games. They took no chances and immediately told all the residents in the area that they had to shelter in place inside their homes because they were now on lockdown. All of the local elementary schools that were in the area were placed on lockdown and little kids weren't allowed to leave or go home to their parents, nor were the parents allowed to come in the schools. By 7 p.m., almost all of the 2,000 kids in the area schools still hadn't been released yet, and they had to eat their dinner in school. Finally, at 10 p.m., kids were released and allowed to go home to their parents. Meanwhile, The police caught Dante walking down the street like nothing happened, and he was quickly arrested. Once he got to the police station, the interrogation began, and immediately he started denying stuff. He ain't know nothing about no cop getting hit in no stolen Jeep. He ain't know nothing about no stolen car. When they asked him why he thought he was arrested, he had the nerve to say, I don't have a clue. I don't, have a, I, don't, I don't have a clue why I'm down here. He said he was picked up by the cops after he got a ride to his girlfriend's house and he never saw or been in any Jeep. All I know is I seen a whole lot of police coming down the street when asked why his fingerprints would be in the Jeep. He said that he got to his girlfriend's house that night and he might have gotten in the Jeep while it was still running because somebody else had left the keys in it. So... He might have just drove it around a little bit before just jumping out of it. Stupid stuff like that. And the detectives ain't dumb. I don't know why people think they're stupid, but as 
they fed him a dinner of McDonald's, cheeseburger, chicken nuggets, and a sweet tea like a kid. They basically told him that his story was complete bullshit. I mean, dude was actually caught on their surveillance tapes trying to hide the key to the Jeep under his chair. I mean, come on now. Finally, after the detectives got tired of playing with him, they told him that not only had they had plenty of people seen him driving the Jeep, which was flooded with his fingerprints, but they also had the powerful dash cam video of him driving the Jeep and mowing the officer down with it. Confronted with all this evidence, after 14 hours of questioning and denying, he decided to come clean and confess. What was going through your mind, the detective asked him. I just wanted to go home. Once I seen the gun pointed right at me, I put my head down, I closed my eyes. It was like five seconds before I pushed on the gas. Like he said, it was like five seconds before I pushed on the gas. I thought she was going to move. He finally confessed all of this to them. Now, charged as an adult with first degree felony murder this time, the 16 year old was held in an adult jail with no bail. The other three teens were also caught and not only were they charged as an adult with burglary of the home that they were in, the state's attorney also tacked on first degree felony murder charges for them too. All were held without bail. This case grew intense racial tension and incense at first because Amy was white and the four teens are black. As Dante's mother cried on national TV about how she begged the justice system for help, the case caught the attention of two well-known criminal defense attorneys in the area and they decided to represent Dante pro bono. Despite receiving violent threats, the two attorneys argued that there was definitely no premeditation to justify a first-degree murder charge and the kid just panicked because he was scared of cops. And he was scared because he had a gun pointed in his face. They argued of why was he even pulled over in the first place. What made him look so suspicious? Was it because he was black? Nice try. But that argument went on deaf ears, especially after the video of her murder was shown to the jury and the public. Dante was convicted of first-degree felony murder and first-degree burglary. At his sentencing hearing, Amy's family was allowed to express what they were feeling, what they were going through, and how Amy's murder had shattered their lives. Her mother read a touching victim impact statement where she described that she almost gave up on having any more kids before Amy was born. Amy was the last of three daughters and she emphasized that although Amy had passed on, she was still very much a part of their family. Some memories make us laugh, some, some memories make us laugh out loud, some make us cry. I miss her terribly, she told the court instead of, that instead of focusing on all the negatives, she chose to look at the positives. Her husband of three years said that her killers were remorseless and Dante didn't even deserve to hear what he had to say 
but Amy deserved to be remembered. So he judged, he told the judge how he suffers from deep depression since the love of his life was murdered. He said the last five years, he, the last 8.5 years that he knew Amy was the best years of his life and that she was killed just days before they both were to celebrate their birthdays and their upcoming third year wedding anniversary. I go home to an empty house knowing no one will ever come home. There's a massive hole and feeling of emptiness in my heart that will never go away. She was selfless. He al- she always put others before her. She was the best person that I knew, he tearfully told the court. Although Dante never said a word in court, through his attorneys, they read a letter that he wrote saying that he was truly sorry for what happened. We are still young. No one is perfect, he wrote. His attorney read how he said he felt like his decision was made because he felt like it was a life or death sentence because she had the gun pointed right at him. Calling his decision making reckless and horrendous but not premeditated, his lawyers argued that because the teen was only 16, that he couldn't really evaluate or decipher the consequences of his actions and they argued for a 30-year prison sentence. He had the nerve to ask her family for forgiveness and ask the judge for a second chance because now he wants to get his GED and become a welder technician. He wrote that he considers himself grateful to be alive and that he wants to work to find out his purpose in life. Are you freaking hitting me? I mean, I don't know how his attorneys kept a straight face reading that garbage, but anyway, the judge wasn't moved not one tiny bit and sentenced him to life without the possibility for parole. Dante's mother was in court that day, and when she heard his sentence, she ran out the courtroom screaming. Dante himself put his head in his hands, his head down on the table, and started crying. Like a kid. Now, later... All three of the other teens, they didn't even, after his sentence, they didn't even take their cases to court. They all took plea deals for first-degree felony murder and related burglary charges, and they all got 30-year prison sentence equally. Amy's mother, Amy's murder touched a lot of people who knew her as well as people who didn't know her. Four months after she was killed, Towson University created the Amy Amy Sorrell's Caprio Scholarship Endowment in her honor. Her name is inscribed on a monument there at Patriot Plaza in Towson. In August, a new playground dedicated, a new playground at uh, the Gunpowder Elementary School called the Gunpowder Elementary Unity Playground was dedicated and designed to honor her life service and legacy. The school and the playground are located about a mile from where she was fatally killed. A dog park at the Hunnigold Run Run Regional Park in Perry Hall was dedicated to Amy in her honor. A memorial bike ride in the Jerusalem Mill and the Gunpowder Falls State Park was named after her to honor her memory. A kennel and a plaque that was dedicated to honor her life hangs at the Humane Society in Harford County. And her Amy's family received the Congressional Badge of Bravery, Bravery in March just recently. And 
she was awarded the officer of the month again posthumously for the month of May now this case was notorious in murder I mean notorious in Mer Maryland because this wasn't too long ago when this happened first of all this is in 2018 who doesn't remember this case and you know what, what do I believe happened I'm not gonna lie I am not gonna lie I'm gonna be I'm gonna be truthful with you okay at first I was like you know oh he did panic he really did panic you know they they turned this into he didn't plan to really hit her you know he he you know he had a gun I, I really was kind of feeling the lawyers a little bit but then I saw the video he said it himself those five seconds are what convicted him what I saw in the video you know he opened the door you know she's yelling get out of the car get out of the car get out of the car and he opened the door like he was gonna get out so you thought about getting out regardless I don't care they didn't say how long premeditation had to be but at some you did think about getting out of that car but you chose to gun it you chose to gun it instead so that was definitely that was premeditated even if it was for five seconds it was premeditated so like I said for a little bit I could have been swayed a little bit a little you know the other way you know he's young he's panicked he shut his eyes he closed whatever I could have been swayed a little bit but you had five seconds to think about what you were gonna do and you were about to get out of that car but you like you said you thought she was gonna move she did not move this is not the movies I bet you didn't think she was gonna shoot either did you you know he almost got shot you know he could have been dead like he said but I guess God had other plans he decided to give you a slow death and to slow you down because that right there teens making stupid decisions and even the ones that he was with did you think that they think thought that he was going to be out running cops over did he did they even think that that was going to happen because now they got basically in essence life sentences over his his mistakes you know over his his choices now his lawyers tried they really did and i can see why they took that case pro bono and everything but mm -mm, this was perry hall the whole jurisdiction was wrong you know wow i did I, I have written to him not recently um i have not gotten a response yet when i wrote to him his trial was not uh he was not convicted yet so basically i don't think that he could actually talk about this case yet but um I am curious to see, uh, you know, where his mind is at now. Um, <sighs> I feel a little bad for the other defendants a little bit. I'm sorry because they didn't, I, like I said, I have, a, I just knew that they did not, they did not think that he would be out doing this and that they would be caught up in the decision makings of, you know, the driver of the vehicle, of their getaway vehicle be running cops over and that they will be facing you know life sentences i know they didn't think that that would happen um he is at patuxent he's not at a uh adult well i can't say not in an adult prison but he's not at a maximum security institution he patuxent is like um a place where you go in to get some type of mental health therapy or whatever 
but at least he's there getting treatment. Um, he did appeal this conviction, but he can appeal it all he want. I don't see him getting out. I don't see him winning that appeal. It's all about the jurisdiction. And um, not even just that, but you, he did murder an innocent cop. A beloved cop. A female cop. No, you're right where you belong. He's shown zero remorse. You know, he's crying because he got caught and he has to go to jail. But he's shown zero remorse for his actions. You know, um, I believed until I saw, like I said, until I saw the video. He had five seconds to decide on what he wanted to do. And he chose to put his foot on their gas and mow their cop down. Simple as that. And he's right where he needs to be. This episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting death of 17-year-old Deshanae Woodson. On May 14, 2017, 17-year-old Deshanae Woodson was walking with a group of her friends in the 4300 block of Ricestown Road and Grantley Avenue in the Park Heights area of Northwest Baltimore around 1 a.m. when suddenly a someone with a gun approached them and fired a shot. Deshanae was hit in her upper body. 911 was called and she was rushed to Sinai Hospital, but she was pronounced dead shortly after. Police have nothing, no clues. Silch, nada. We need to get this solved, people. And yes, in Maryland, but especially in Baltimore City, you can get shot for no reason hit by flying bullets for no reason, caught in a crossfire of bullets for no reason, but to be shot in front of witnesses and have a case not solved is just flat out ridiculous, especially if she was with friends. If you have any information at all that can lead to an arrest or conviction in this homicide, please call Baltimore City Homicide Detectives at 410 410- 396-2100 or 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also submit a tip online at www.metrocrimestoppers the stoppers with an S dot org. You can even text them at MCS plus whatever tip you want to provide to C-R-I-M-E-S or 274637 and yes, people, you can remain anonymous. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to, to subscribe to this podcast for updates on new and upcoming episodes. Also, please be sure to check out all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders 1990-2008 through 2008 and Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1. Both of these books, as well as the upcoming release of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 2009 through 2020, and my other true crime and true life books are all available on Amazon.com. Be sure to tune in next week, where the season finale of Teen Killers will be profiled in another gruesome, high-profile homicide case in Maryland will be examined and profiled on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been 
a real-life production. Thank you.